What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 163, on this final day of November, November 30th, 2022. Josh Calloway in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman and more, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? The regular season is behind us. How does it feel? Feels good to have that season behind us. I did, I did <laughs> some thinking on this uh, the last three years that I've been doing this with uh, All Sooners. 2020 was COVID. 2021, Lincoln bailed. 2022, Brent's first year. It has been an absolute, it's like a grind, but at the same time, like a flash. Like 2020 feels like it was about six months ago sometimes. So different. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been bizarre. It's been uh, weird. And now, uh, last year about this time, we were in the dredges of a coaching cert. So <laughs> it, it was almost more tiring than if Oklahoma had been playing in a Big 12 championship game and we had just been on, hey, tack on extra week. Now it's been weird of just we're waiting on the transfer portal. We're waiting on all that stuff. But otherwise, I've cleaned my apartment more in the last two days than I have in the past like three months. And I've just uh, taken a lot of soccer. So it hasn't been all bad. Yeah, this week has been way more calm than than this week last year, which was uh, as we documented, Lincoln leaves the day after the season finale. Bob Soups has that press conference, the the epic press conference on that Monday. And this was the insane week um, leading right up to every single name being rumored and, and all the craziness we're tracking. Why is Brent Venable still recruiting for Clemson? We're doing all that stuff. Um, this week is much slower than, than that week last year. And the, the transfer portal in Sandy hasn't really even hit yet. We've only had a couple. We'll, we'll dive into that obviously here in just a little bit. Um, but yeah, relatively quiet on uh, in Norman, Norman, Oklahoma so far uh, this week. But that'll, that'll change soon uh, in, in due time, I'm sure. As uh, changes are made, so far nothing changed on the coaching staff, anything like that. But uh, that's probably all coming in due time. So we'll we'll dive into a lot of that stuff here coming up in just a little bit. We'll start as we always do for the final time here, which is put the finishing touches on the last game we saw, Oklahoma Texas Tech on Saturday night in Lubbock. It was unpleasant. It was very cold and it was ugly. We had Wi-Fi issues. We didn't sleep coming back at all, but we survived it. And uh, it's in the rearview mirror now. Now that we've had a few days to digest it. Texas Tech game. How do we feel? We got to watch the field goal back. How do we feel about what what happened in Lubbock on Saturday? <laughs> we didn't have Wi-Fi at the stadium. We had we had rough. really terrible Wi-Fi. We had really terrible. So we couldn't upload our usual videos and just ch- kind of just poor content, poor content, poor content. Sunday, the day after the game was the biggest day we've had traffic-wise of the football season. So we don't need <laughs> Wi-Fi, apparently. This is a new revelation to me. What the hell is that? We're trying to get as much stuff out as fast as we can, and everybody's like, no, nah, it's cool. You guys can take the night off. We'll, I guess we'll <laughs> save it. Save we'll read stuff your stuff Sunday. in the morning. Yeah, we'll watch those videos in the morning. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, just thinking back on that, uh, on that game, Dylan Gabriel was the Big 12 Offensive player of the week, Big 12 newcomer of the week. Uh, you got uh, Marvin Mims going over 1,000 yards receiving with 162, which was one off 161, I think, which was one off his career high. And then you got uh, Eric Gray going for 160 yards as well, which is second, I think, for his career at Oklahoma. He went over 1,300 yards. He had enough. And they lost. And they only had three three and outs on offense. And they lost. It's just a, a remarkable step back by the defense overall um, when you think about where they were against West Virginia, where they were against Oklahoma State. 
They go up against Texas Tech, which we knew was a better offense than either of those two teams, probably both of those teams combined. And Texas Tech got a little confidence midway through the first quarter, was it? And uh, just kind of started lighting them up after that. Yeah, it, it was just uh, still looking back, it's so weird how the offense scored with Texas Tech in the third and fourth quarter. They scored with them when they were under pressure of the the really bad drive to start, and then they were behind the whole way until the CJ Cold interception, and they, and they cashed that in. And to still feel like, okay, an offense put 48 points on the board, and while that doesn't excuse the defense, need to find a way to get stops. Still feels like they left something on the table as far as just being unable to that that last six and a half minutes, I think, of the first half, how that was managed is going to probably haunt Jeff Levy for a, a little bit as you think back to just the inability to use up enough time for Texas Tech to not roar all the way back and cut that thing back to one point. So yeah. Uh, we, I know we kind of said this after the game, but what happened in that game is what would have happened against Oklahoma State had Oklahoma State had half of their hurt players uh, available on offense or in Spencer Sanders been 100% because it felt pretty much the exact same. It just happened all at once at the end of the second quarter there for the Red Raiders, and that set the table for a, a pretty fun back and forth, just weird old school Big 12 shootout in the second half. Yeah, I said first quarter. I meant second quarter. The second quarter went uh, Oklahoma uh, three-and-out punt, and then one-play touchdown, 77 yards, and then three-and-interception, and then a three-and-out punt. Meanwhile, Texas Tech was coming to life. 11-play, 75-yard touchdown, 10-play, 75-yard touchdown, four-plays, 29-yard field goal, uh, touchdown, sorry, and then a a eight-play, 77-yard field goal at the end of the half. Like, they were dead? And then all of a sudden they were Usain Bolt. They're unstoppable. Like what happened? So uh, yeah, shout out OU defense for not being able to put the clamps on anybody. But you're right, Ryan. Complimentary football didn't happen again. Yeah, that that second quarter is what got them beat. And and look, and as we peel, peel away from it, it gets more and more egregious. I mean, it was 24-6 on that Mims touchdown with 625 to play until halftime. And it went into the locker room at twenty four twenty three. Yeah, that's insane. I mean that that you have to be able to to use more clock to where the other team doesn't even get the opportunity to have three scoring drives when you have the ball with you know that much time left in the half. It 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 just can't happen. That that little things like that happened all year, and Oklahoma was terrible in close games uh, all year. Um, all all the one score games they lost them all, all season long. So uh, stuff like that is why um, not being able to manage clock correctly, not just not having good feel for situational, how you need to approach things. It happened all season and uh, shouldn't really have been a surprise. It happened again in the 12th game since what we saw the whole year, but it, it continues to kind of amaze you uh, every single time. So we, we recap the season, obviously somewhat in the post game show in the car. We have a chance to do it again a little bit now, kind of put the finishing bow on it. For me, it's just Oklahoma was, was not any good. I mean, it's just that simple. They, this, the roster's not great. Brent Venables didn't have a great first year. There's a lot of room for them to get better next year, and there's reason to think they will. Um, but I guess how do you guys, now that we've had a few days, the season has been over for a few days. Anything that's changed and how you feel how this season went? Because it was, it was, I mean, six and six. I mean, that, that, that shouldn't have happened. No, Bill Parcells, the great philosopher, once said, you are what your record says you are. They're, they're, this team's a 6-6 six and six team. Marvin Mims was asked, does this feel like a 6-6 six and six team? He said, absolutely not. We're not a 6-6 six and six team. I kind of wanted to jump in and say, Marvin, 
You lost six times and you only won six times. You're a six and six team. There's reasons for that. Lots of reasons, lots and lots of reasons going all the way back to Lincoln Riley leaving, taking all the talent with him to USC, bunch of guys saying, screw this. I'm opting out. I'm opting out of the bowl game. I'm opting out of my senior year. I'm going to the NFL. You lost all that talent last year. Think about those guys and the number of players that you lost. Uh, Spencer Rattler's tearing it up, relatively speaking, Lightly. at South Carolina. Yeah. You know, slow season, bad season for him, and he finishes by beating Clemson and uh, you know the final the season finale last week. Um, Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman. Uh, Lincoln Riley has USC, who was four and eight last year, in the playoff if they beat Utah on Saturday, Friday night. In the playoff, it's unbelievable if they win the Big 12 or if they win the uh, Pac-12. There's players all over the country right now who are looking at Oklahoma going, man, I'm glad I didn't go there. They're having a tough, tough season. There's a reason for that, and that's because they needed more talent on this roster. They could have used those those players that picked other schools. They could have used some of those guys this year to uh, to not go 6-6. Six and six. Yeah, you've obviously got that, but... The other side of it, we when Brent Venables was hired, we've referenced this story a lot, right? The defensive turnaround. I think everyone knew the second that Caleb Williams hit the portal that Oklahoma was going to have a big downgrade at quarterback, regardless of who they brought in. And so that meant that you're going to have to play both sides of the football a lot better because you're not going to have Caleb Williams – Spencer Rattler in 2020, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield to bail you out if you stink. And what we kept talking about was Brent Venables, year one at Clemson. They were about the 80s in total defense. Year one, they got marginally better. Year two, they took a jump into the top 25. And then the rest of his time, all this defense is ranked in the top 10 in total defense. This year at Oklahoma, they finished 120th in total defense which is well below the 60th they finished last year. So when you lose basically your your three key pieces on the defensive line to the NFL draft and a linebacker and Brian Asamo to the NFL draft and a safety to the NFL draft, and then you haven't recruited a, a defensive line that's supposed to play the way that Brent Venables had when you've got that speedy coming in behind, um, I think everyone should have looked at that probably and said, instead of keeping that and it being a push defensively that maybe they should have looked back. And obviously with hindsight, we see taking a huge step back. So, so that'll be this, the process coming again, as I know that everyone wants portal, portal, portal. There's not a ton of like defensive linemen that are out there that are really huge difference makers in the portal. Those guys usually stay put or go to the NFL. If you're a difference maker along the defensive line. So it's going to be whoever's left plus a lot of young guys, which they were hesitant to play next year. So it'll be really interesting to see, if merely those guys being in year two helps out, or if it's going to be another year of absent defensive line play because they're undersized, young, and and the OU defense will struggle again as a result. Yeah, Ryan, let me ask you this. What's a bigger loss, Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler, or those three defensive linemen, one linebacker, and two safeties that that moved on in their careers? It's That's an easy one for me. Dylan Gabriel's the MVP of this team for not missing more than just the Texas game. Yeah, I mean, when, when you look at what, what happened there, it's it's what what kind of program you want, right? Because if you had kept Caleb Williams, a lot of the problems would still be there. You'd probably feel more optimistic that the defense is going to get there eventually under Brent Venables. Or do you just want to say, look, 
you need to have this year to rip off the Band-Aid so that the, def- the defense matters again, right? That you have to have two sides of the football working together toward winning a football game, and that boils back into the complimentary football conversation that everyone's tired of having all year long because these two sides of the football, even when they were playing well, it never felt like they could play well together for an extended stretch. Yeah, it continues to amaze me um, to just how much people try to assign like one thing for why the team was what it was this year. Um, it's a lot of things. It, it, every every area needs to improve. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to change everything, but the players in the spots have to get better. The coaches have to be better. I mean, it. people like to do this thing. We talked about it in the car coming back where they, they just look at the stats and they look what Dylan Gabriel threw for on Saturday and they just say, oh, he's not the problem. And it's like, be able to process what you watched a little bit. You, if you watch the season, I mean, like I said earlier, they lost every one score game they played. Quarterback is a big difference in one score games. Go get you a score late, put games away, um, step on a team's neck. That was something that Dylan Gabriel and this offense could never do, never do this season. So while the numbers were pretty good and Dylan Gabriel had a, a decent season statistically, his season statistically is not that far off of Caleb Williams in a lot in a lot of categories. Yeah, but. Watch what Caleb Williams does in the big moments and when they need it all season long, and you'll you'll see the difference. It's more than just the numbers on the paper. Well, I, the, the easiest thing, Oklahoma struggled in fourth downs a ton, third down, fourth down, short yardage. Um, Dylan Gabriel was not running up to Kennedy Brooks, Brooks and ripping the ball out and surging forward for two yards to, right. to get a first down in Lawrence to, to help keep the Jayhawks at bay. It, it's just – Little things like that, that's what a elite quarterback can paper over, and it's going to be a new era at Oklahoma where if Jack Snarled hits here in a year, two years, three years, whatever, then you're right back to that where a, a guy like that, a five-star quarterback, can paper it over. But in the interim, in the meantime, you've either got Dylan Gabriel coming back, you've got – if Jack Snarled takes over, you've got a true freshman it, you know, under the gun, all that stuff with a defense that isn't going to – give that guy the, the chance to make those mistakes and kind of grow while still winning football games if it doesn't improve. So it, it'll be interesting to see what kind of pressure that heaps on if that can change the mindset of the defense because for so long it's been the one thing goes bad, everything goes bad, but don't worry. We just have to hold the the offense to 50 points and we might have a chance to win this game. Yeah, the whole thing of uh, elite quarterback. An elite quarterback, I think we've learned over the years that an elite quarterback – can one win the Heisman and two win the Big 12 championship? Can an elite quarterback win the national championship? No, that hasn't happened. I, yes, they can, but they need five star defensive linemen and five star offensive linemen and five star receivers and five star running backs all around them and five star linebackers and DNs and all. That's what Oklahoma doesn't have, hasn't had, is hasn't been able to get in their recruiting classes. They've they've won a lot of games at a very high rate and a lot of entertaining, high-scoring offensive football with those quarterbacks, they need to recruit. And obviously, I'm not saying anything new here. They need to get some defensive linemen in here, whether it's through the portal, whether it's junior college, whether it's from uh, you know Johnny Five Star, uh, still trying to flip David Hicks at this stage, right, from Texas A&M. you got to get those guys that are going to allow you to make mistakes at quarterback, allow you to have average play from time to time at quarterback. You don't have to be the superhero that uh, that Baker and Kyler and Jalen and, and all those guys have been over the years. Yeah, no, 100%. And, uh, you know, to kind of put the finishing touches on the, 
the, the Dylan Gabriel conversation as far as I, I don't think he's the sole problem. Like I said earlier, there's no one no. sole problem. It's not on any one person. But Holistic. the people who do the thing to try to do the thing of Dylan Gabriel's not a problem thing. How many more games does this team win if they just literally convince Caleb Williams to stay? Same roster, but it's Caleb Williams. I think yeah. several more. I think I think they win eight or nine, maybe more games than that. I think they're ten and two minimum, uh, assuming that he gets hurt the same way that Dylan got hurt and misses the same amount of games. I think they're they go they win every one of those close games. They go ten and two. Yeah, it, it and again, this boils back down to the big problem I have with this offense is not the production or the points or anything like that. It's just how boom or bust it is. It feels like they're mm-hmm. either hitting home runs or it's an 82nd three and out as opposed to just, there are no moments where like in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma state, if the first time they had got the ball, they picked up two first downs and still had to punt, but were able to run some time off and, and give the defense a breather that just that dynamic feels a whole lot different than the rapid fire. We're trying to pump the ball back to the opponent as fast as possible because all we do is tempo. And and that is just uh, a quarterback that's not the elite of the elite. That's a really, really young offensive coordinator who still has a ton of time to realize this is my ideal version of the offense. But when it gets down to the nuts and bolts of what you have to do to comfortably win a football game, sometimes you have to come off that a little bit, Th- things like that. And can that all be fixed? Yeah, but that's going to take um, some growth from the coaching staff and, and then some de- development and talent development this off season. 100% going to be interesting to see how that's all uh, approached uh, this off season. And if how much they, they work in, New guys, um, and obviously the quarterback spot's gonna be one that this is gonna be very interesting. Uh, this this uh, winter and, and into next spring and summer, of course. Um, so wrap up this first segment. Obviously, by the time we do the show again next Wednesday, we will f- know what Oklahoma is doing in the bowls. Um, so let's lock it in. Where do we think Oklahoma winds up in the in the the bowls? Most of the projections have pretty much three possibilities: guaranteed rate bowl in Phoenix, Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Texas Bowl in Houston. That's pretty much been what we've seen. I don't think I've seen any projection that has anything other than those three uh, at this point uh, You know, in the season here with Championship Saturday, all that's left. So where do we think Oklahoma winds up uh, whenever Sunday's bowls are, are finally announced? Yeah, the projections we've seen and the projections that we have on the website right now um, in, don't include the Liberty Bowl, which we've talked about at length, um, which I – I don't really know why uh, the Liberty Bowl is being jumped over. Yeah, you know, it's either the three spot, the four spot, or the six spot, uh, or seven or eight spot, whatever the guaranteed rate is. So, uh, yeah, uh, where where are we going to be spending our holidays? Uh, we're going to be having Christmas in Phoenix on the on the twenty fifth. Are we actually going to be in Phoenix on the twenty fifth? By the way, I looked, guys. At, I looked ahead at last year's media schedule, kind of pre- overlaid it onto this oh, year's boy. calendar. Uh, games on Tuesday, media day on Sunday. Sunday is actually Christmas. What? So maybe they'll change that. Maybe they'll lay that out differently when when we actually get there. But I don't want to yeah. be covering media day on Christmas, guys. <laughs> so uh, at that rate, I'm pulling for the uh, the Houston Bowl. I saw Oklahoma State projected to the Frisco Bowl on December 17th. Can we go to the Frisco Bowl December on December 17th? 17th? Have it out of the way by the time Christmas gets here? That'd be great. Be amazing. Yeah, that- Get it all done and dusted. Um, I just think that, again, we've talked about this a ton, that the Bulls are not married in the Big 12 to 
number one team goes here, number two team goes here, number three team goes here. They get to pick, and while they work with the Big 12 and all that stuff, uh, the Bulls are about what gets the Bulls money, and I think that the Liberty Bowl and the Texas Bowl, both being Big 12 SEC tie-ins, I think that both of those bowl games would really want to be able to grab Oklahoma and promote it's the future conference matchup, all this stuff, because that just makes it easier, especially when like the Texas Bowl, I haven't checked with the Liberty Bowl, but I know the Texas Bowl is one of the ones that's owned and operated by ESPN. So for them, that's a very easy sell of you grab Oklahoma and whether it's Arkansas or um, someone like that, I think South Carolina's probably played them way their way out Missouri, of the Texas Bowl. But, but like Oklahoma and Arkansas, you're telling me ESPN's not going to be juiced to sell that thing, even though the records aren't pretty. It's a regional, it's SEC, future SEC, all that stuff. So I think that that's probably one of the two likeliest landing spots. Kentucky too. Don't forget the Stoops angle. That could uh, sure. that could provide storylines for ESPN for uh, for three or four days. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Ryan. I mean, the way I kind of picture, I, I feel like really there's only three possibilities. The ones I said, Guaranteed Rate, Liberty, and the Texas Bowl. And for those three bowls, you're really kind of deciding between Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. If we're assuming that Texas goes to the Alamo Bowl, TCU makes the playoff, and Kansas State takes the sugar. Um, and between those three, it's a slam dunk that they would all want Oklahoma for their fan base and, and all the obvious reasons, blue blood, all that. And so that if Oklahoma is just getting to decide, I would think they would take the Texas Bowl. I mean, Houston is obviously – that there's a big alumni base in Houston. You recruit guys from that area. I mean, there, there's lots of reasons that I think they would want to play their bowl game down in Houston um, as opposed to Memphis or, or especially, I can't, I can't picture them choosing to play in something called the guaranteed rate bowl. Even, even if it's the cushiest one for us in Arizona and the weather and all that stuff, it's just, yeah. I have a hard time picturing it. So I, I think, think that if it's up to Oklahoma, which I, I would think it would be pretty much, they would take the Texas bowl, but we'll see. We'll see. I don't think it's up to Oklahoma. It'll be up to the bowl to, to decide who they want to choose. So in that vein, it's going to be probably the, uh, the cheese it bowl. Picking Oklahoma, uh, getting them back. That's the wild card situation. Yeah, the cheese bowl because they pick they pick right after the Alamo, and they look at they look at the standings and go, yeah, Oklahoma stunk this year, but it's Oklahoma. Of course, we want them. Big Twelve might step in and say, no, no, can I show you Oklahoma State's resume? Can I show you Baylor's resume? And they're going to look at the the brand and say, no, bro, we want Oklahoma. Um, So that's something that's probably going to happen. Um, Yeah. for Oklahoma, the best case scenario, you're hundred percent right would be absolutely unequivocally Houston, because you can actually touch base with recruits in Houston, invite them to your practice. They get to come out and see what it's all about a little bit. That'd be cool. Plus you tell, um, you get that. Is it Ryan? You said that's an sec matchup, the Texas bowl. It is. Yeah. So there's, there's a handful of schools that you'd want to match them up against and they'd all be attractive. If you're ESPN. Um, so yeah, Oklahoma gets another chance to play in Texas. Sure. Phoenix is tricky because Phoenix is probably in the terms of the pecking order is where they belong. But the, that bowl main, they, by the time they pick Oklahoma may be long gone. So doubtful. I, I really still think it's doubtful that we're going to go uh, to Phoenix as a media group covering the Sooners. Yeah. It is interesting. Cause uh, when you look at the, basically regardless of what happens this weekend, um, if TC wins, they're going to the playoff. K-State's going to the Sugar Bowl. If TC loses, they're going to be an at-large in the New Year's Six, and K-State yep, goes to the Sugar Bowl. So 
Congrats there. Texas probably locked into the Alamo Bowl with how they finished the year. So you look at everything else. So for you, the Cheez-It Bowl, Oklahoma's the brand. The fan base is like, screw this team. Uh, the way that Baylor performed this year is an underperformance, a step down, a disappointment from winning the Big 12 last year. Oklahoma State's banged up, battered, bruised, injured. The fan base is pretty mad on that. Texas Tech might be the happiest lot of the bunch to spend some money and head out to Orlando. So there's going to be some interesting calculation done as far as how much of the stadium needs to be full for the bowl to to make the money they want to make versus selling a matchup on TV that might not draw fans because I I don't know how many Oklahoma fans are juiced to travel to Orlando to watch this team play another game. Yeah, that's a good point, too, that uh, Texas Tech might be the, the prime property there. Uh, Oklahoma State consider that their quarterback has been banged up. Their quarterback is probably going to make a decision soon on whether he's going to opt out of the bowl and start training. You know what I mean? Uh, The bowl is is sitting there waiting for Spencer Sanders to make an announcement of some kind. Um, If he if he opts out, then he the Oklahoma State becomes significantly less attractive. So yeah, unless Gunnar Gundy is the man, right? Rolls out there and is the, the head coach's son is the starting quarterback. That's always interesting. Yeah, it's going to be uh, a lot of moving pieces, and we'll find out on Sunday afternoon. I feel like last year going into it, we really knew it was the Alamo Bowl. Um, we, we kind of pieced it together like that's what they're going to be. So we kind of already were mentally in San Antonio. We can't really do that. We're kind of waiting and seeing. I expect Houston, but I, we could see there's a few possibilities, and we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. So we'll find out Sunday afternoon. Keep up with all Sooners on Twitter and obviously the website, allsooners.com. Whenever that's announced, I think it's like 2 o'clock ish on Sundays when they start rolling out all the bowls. We'll have it for you wherever Oklahoma is playing at the end of December, and uh, we'll, we'll haul over where wherever it is, and we'll uh, watch this team play one more time because they're just so much fun to watch play football. All right, take a timeout, and we'll come back. We're going to get into the transactional uh, phase of the show as guys coming and going in the portal. Oklahoma did get a commit we haven't talked about yet, so we'll dive into all of that next on the All Sooners podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the all-star service program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the all-star service agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pro's price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pro's 405 639 9991 or check out their website tradeprosokc.com on twitter you can follow all sooners at all underscore sooners ryan is at underscore ryan chapman who's at john e hoover i'm at josh m calloway our website is all sooners.com we are a fan nation affiliate part of the sports illustrated Network. All right, everybody's favorite thing to talk about, Transfer Portal. It's go time. Um, We honestly thought we'd have a lot more movement by now. At least I did uh, by Wednesday this week. We were thinking 
that Sunday after the Tech game was going to be just insane. It's really been pretty quiet so far, but there has been a couple of guys. We'll start with the big one, the obvious one. Theo Weiss announced uh, Redshirt Jr. that he is going to hit the portal. It was reported earlier in the week, and then Theo confirmed it today, put out a statement just a little bit before we started recording, that he is going to hit the portal with two years of eligibility left. This year was somewhat underwhelming for Theo. I mean, he only had 19 catches. He did save his best for last. He went off on Saturday. It was his best game in an OU uniform uh, against uh, Texas Tech, going for over 100 yards at that bomb touchdown. But he hits the portal um, and, and, and thus officially closes the book on that 2019 recruiting class of Rattler, Stogner, Bridges, um, yeah, Bridges, Weiss, and Hazelwood that just did not pan out at all like everybody thought they would. Weiss is in the portal, and uh, he'll be looking for a new team. So, yeah, it's it's kind of wild. He closes the chapter. That's uh, closes the book. Is uh, the story I was going to write uh, this afternoon at All Sooners? Kind of a column on looking back on that twenty nineteen class and those three five star wide receivers and the four star tight end and the five star quarterback. It's just stunning how that fell apart. Yeah, um, Lincoln Riley recruited. Those guys, not one of them, not one of them is going to finish their career at Oklahoma unless, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this, unless Rattler and Stogner transfer back, uh, not one of them is going to figure, finish oh, their career at to Oklahoma. Take them. Yeah, uh, crazy. So just goes to show uh, recruiting rankings can be like foil. You know, they look cool and shiny and awesome, and then you pick them up and grab them and there's nothing there. You just crinkle them up. That's what recruiting rankings can be. I know we all are in agreement that you need those five stars to win national championships. Lincoln Riley got three five stars in one class, and uh, look at this team now. Yeah, and for Theo, this just made a ton of sense. If you just look at his involvement, three catches, three catches, two catches, that was his non-conference run against UTEP, Kent State, Nebraska, three grabs against K-State, then he didn't pop up again until Kansas four catches against Kansas, then the whole rest of the way he had four combined catches after that matchup with the Jayhawks, and three of those and all of his yards after the Kansas game came last Saturday in Lubbock. So it, it makes a ton of sense for him, not the comeback season that he had envisioned when he told us in the spring that he was an, an 11 out of 10, ready, ready to rock and roll. And it, it never looked like he was hampered or anything, but when you go back to kind of the Texas game and how none of the receivers were really part of that game plan, never really seemed to bounce back in and get back into the rotation. And so that one made sense. And it's kind of like we talked uh, on Saturday, um, Saturday night in the car, that there were a couple of guys. Theo had a big game, but a guy like LV Bunkley Shelton, who was a transfer in, he randomly gets a couple of targets, things like that. Uh, some of how the targets got distributed in Lubbock were kind of odd considering what the back half of the season had looked like for this team, which was purely Farouk Mims Gray Willis. Yeah. I'll, I'll add real quick that I think in in that class, I think we all looked at, uh, Jaden Hazelwood is probably the, the highest rated prospect and the guy who has the most potential and all that. Well, look at his, the year that he had this year with Arkansas, 59 catches, career high, 702 yards, career high. He did pretty good. So he's going off to the NFL, three touchdowns, but um, he caught that one game last year, if I remember correctly, at Oklahoma. He did. Uh, but he's, he's going off to the NFL. Um, yeah, that class, a little bit star-crossed, for sure. 100%. It just it did not pan out. I mean, that was, that was the class that was supposed to bring Oklahoma 
a, a national title potentially. I mean, that was yeah. how are you going to stop this? Um, and it just never materialized at all. Um, really amazing. It just goes to show you no, nothing's a given. I mean, we already knew that, but um, nothing's a given. And and just real quick too to finish on Theo Weiss. Here, here's how much Oklahoma fans should be upset or have any beef with Theo Weiss. Zero. That guy missed all of last season, basically, uh, essentially, with injury, hit the portal, and decided to come back with Brent Venables, you know, completely different, you know, uh, all that. His receiver coach <laughs> got let go right before the season, and the guy never was in trouble, never said anything. I mean, he just he, he kept trying. It didn't work out, but he – Oh, you finished. Have no beef with with the way things went down with Theo Weiss. He tried to make it work at Oklahoma, and it just, it just didn't. And uh, can you blame him for wanting to try something else? I mean, 19 catches this year. I'm not sure the target number, but it couldn't have been very high. Um, so yeah, I mean he he's looking for a new spot. I don't know why there would be any qualms with with that for uh, for OU fans on this one. And these receivers, I wrote this story yesterday. We're doing a series called uh, Oklahoma's Finest. Uh, Marvin Mims is putting up these numbers. He's having his best season of the of his career right? As a junior with Dylan Gabriel as his quarterback, it just happens to be his third quarterback in three years. These receivers are going through some things. They've got a new receivers coach. Uh, you know, they've been through some changes. So yeah, you're, you're looking for consistency in this, this receiver group, which we thought at the start of the season was probably the best group on the team has really underachieved overall. Yeah. And, uh, and Josh, I think your point about fan reaction, I haven't seen any negative fan reaction to Theoe. So this, this isn't like a, Stop yeah. that! Like that—that's not what we've seen at all. But for for everyone that stuck around, gave it a go this year, and we'll hit the portal. We're going to talk about another one of those guys next. We expect many more of those. Uh, I think that that's kind of the process that that Bob Stoops had asked for in that press conference, and Brent Venables had kind of asked for that y- you come in, give it a go for a year, and then if it doesn't fit, then it it's not what you signed up for. You you tried, you tried to make it work, and and that at that point, that's where you kind of. Uh, make that personal decision for yourself. I think that a lot of people can kind of respect uh, any of those guys for tough it out for a year. And then at the end of the year saying, Hey, for one reason or another, you, especially if you look like defensively, the scheme doesn't fit me. It's not what I was recruited to play in all that stuff. Uh, I think that that's something that you, you never want to see that kind of attrition to the portal, but I think it's a lot more palatable than when uh, people are jumping shift left, left, right and center. When, when a coach just leaves. Yeah, and on that note, the other guy who hit the portal this week, defensive back Jordan Mukes, who's in his second year uh, at Oklahoma, uh, Choctaw Kids. He's a local product. Um, Hoove and I were texting, you know, yesterday, or with the whole group, but just unbelievable that he never played this year. That didn't even strike me that he never saw the field this year, and yeah. it's crazy because I remember, and I should have went back and pulled the quote, but I remember last year, fall camp, leading up to the start of the season, Alice Grinch saying that Jordan Mukes is one of the furthest along freshmen on the team. He was asked, what are some freshmen who could have an impact right away? Jordan Mukes is one of the first names out of his mouth. Um, That's a different regime, obviously, but that just kind of goes to show you that maybe he was just not a fit for what Brent Venables and this defense was trying to do this year. So Jordan Mukes, a guy who was exciting, um, he's hitting the portal. And uh, same thing. I mean, stuck it out with a different regime, completely different defensive coaching staff. Didn't work out. Going to look for another spot. Yeah, his high school coach told me when he was when he was offered or when he committed OU that he called him a creature, Jordan Mukes. Six, he's you know measured right. up at o, at OU at six one two oh seven. His recruiting profile said he was six four. He was never six four. So uh, the first time I saw him, I'm like that dude's not six four. 
61207 <laughs> is a hell of a size for a defensive back, uh, whether it's playing under Alex Grinch or Brent Venables or whoever. Uh, Sam on my radio show, Sam Mays talks all the time about Alex Grinch's defense being super simple, right? You're, you got guys that are confused by Mike, uh, Mike Stoops's deal and uh, Ruffin McNeil tries to come in and smooth things out. It didn't work. Grinch comes in and says, forget all that. We're getting real simplified here. We're going to simplify this thing for all you guys to understand. And, and then he basically ran that for three years. Jordan Mukes fit in that because it was easy to come in as a freshman and say, you just want me to be here? Okay, cool. I can be here. Brent Venable's safeties have so much more responsibility in his defense, so much more complexities. And the only thing I could think, he didn't get on the field one time all year in an era when you can play four games and still redshirt. He didn't get on the field one time. I don't think there was an injury. We saw him warming up a couple of times. You know, I think he's okay. The only thing I could think is he just never grasped the defense as it was presented to him. And he just wasn't able to to crack that lineup. That and the fact that they went out and got some guys in the transfer portal and freshmen who came in and had a, had a little bit better understanding of what uh, their responsibilities were. Yeah, I was going to say just that exact point. It felt like a with Trey Morrison coming in, with Billy Bowman moving to safety, yep. Key Lawrence moving to safety or getting put back at safety, um, Justin Broyles having his COVID year, all and then Robert Spears Jennings coming in and and kind of just picking things up enough to to get a little bit of playing time there. It felt like just the perfect storm of things to happen that. Uh, the, the result was Mukes essentially got recruited over via portal and, and a little bit of position change, things like that. And, and so um, I'm sure he was hacking away on the scout team all year, trying to get a spot and just didn't work out for him. And so another guy, like you said, that toughed it out for a year and, and just said, Hey, uh, I'm going to go somewhere else that maybe fits me a little bit better, which I don't know if anyone can really have any other feeling other than thanks for trying and, and good luck at your next stop. Yeah, so we'll see where he winds up, and uh, I assume there'll be probably a pretty good market for both of these guys, uh, Mukes and Wee. So we'll uh, we'll let you know whenever they announce where they're headed. Um, you'll find out about it on AllSooners.com. So from negative to positive, Sooners did make an addition actually on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, who's ready for that? Notre Dame defensive <laughs> lineman Jacob Lacy announced he's transferring to Oklahoma. Um, he didn't play very much this season. I, he played four games this year before he hit the portal. Um, decided to look for a new spot. He's played a lot of football at Notre Dame. He's got 37 career games under his belt over there with the Irish. He's a veteran. He's been around for a long time. He kind of is what he is. Um, he's been decent, nothing groundbreaking. Like Ryan said, if you're a really good defensive lineman, you pretty much are either going pro or you're you're good where you are. But he's had you know moments, and this year before he you know entered the portal was one of his more productive. He only has two and a half career sacks. Two of them were this year uh, before he decided to, uh, you know, call it on this season and the portal. He had five tackles this year, 35 career tackles, six and a half tackles for loss. So again, not insane numbers, but he's a veteran. He's played a lot of football and obviously Oklahoma needs, they need D tackles. I mean, they're, they're going to run kind of thin after Jeffrey Johnson and Jalen Redmond, presumably are not on this team anymore. You, you need bodies. And that's what uh, Lacey provides here. Yeah, so who is Jacob Lacey? He's a defensive tackle from Bowling Green, Kentucky, right? Yeah. Who is he really? He was offered by Clemson. That's who Jacob Lacey is. When Brent Venables was at Clemson, he offered him as a defensive tackle to come play for the Tigers. That's really all you need to know about him. He went and chose Notre Dame instead. 
played there, you know, made a career of it. And now he's, you know, he's going to do it again for Brent Venables at Oklahoma. You hope he can come in and get an understanding quickly of uh, what Brent Venables defensive tackle is supposed to do. Uh, Ability wise. I don't think there's any question. He's there. He's, he comes in with the experience and the kind of the trademark kind of uh, pedigree, I guess that you'd want in a recruit Um, four-star guy, according to 24 seven sports. He's a guy that, um, is instantly, as soon as he gets on campus, if he continues to work like he has been, puts him in the time, stays on the grind, all that good stuff, he'll be one of the best defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen on the team. Yeah, which is um, not a great Same sign. Not, not a great <laughs> sign for where the yeah. defensive line's going to be next year, but it's either that or what, what this does is it buys you time with whoever you want to bring in of that defensive line class, anyone that you want to play in the interior. It gives you the time of we don't have to throw you out there right now if we don't think you're ready. If we if we think you need a year to physically bulk up and, and get used to the wear and tear of college football, that's what that does. But uh, as I alluded to earlier, this is the life you live trying to find uh, impact defensive line talent in the transfer portal. Exactly. So we'll see uh, what kind of impact he is. No, I mean, certainly interesting timing um, to announce on Thanksgiving Day. I mean, season's not even over yet. You don't really get that ever. So um, he must be pretty good with his decision. And like who said, per, per prior relationship with Venables from his getting recruited at, to Clemson and We'll see uh, what kind of impact he have. You got to assume though he'll be in the rotation um, next year. I mean that that kind of almost goes without without saying. Um, one last addition here before we flip over to the last segment: Kendall Dolby, uh, JUCO defensive back, cornerback, was added last week. Um, this is a good gift for Oklahoma. He's from Northeastern Oklahoma A and M, which is in Miami. So he's played his two years out there. Got really nice tape. I recommend you go watch it on allcenters.com. He, he's, you know, forceful, he's physical, has good instincts, really flies around to the football, you know, does a good job of kind of anticipating plays and things of that nature. This feels like a guy who can be, you know, an impact player right away uh, for Oklahoma. And uh, Kendall Dolby, and who have you got to actually talk to him for a little bit um, on the phone and a great story on allsuits.com about, you know, his recruitment and all that good stuff. Yeah, he he really likes Oklahoma. Um, he's he's not he's not a big huge guy. He's uh, just right around six foot five eleven, hundred eighty pounds. But when you watch him react to a football, football is thrown his way, or football is thrown outside of his catch radius. It's incredible the amount of time that takes him to go out and get a football, to make a diving catch, to make a tiptoe catch on the sideline. Balls that you think he's not going to have an opportunity to catch, he goes out and he catches them. He acts like a wide receiver, like oh that's my ball. DBs are, don't really do that very much, or at least the ones we've covered at Oklahoma don't really own the football like that outside of C.J. Colden this year. Am I right? Um, yeah, no, he said that uh, He said when he came in for his visit for the Oklahoma State game, he loved it. He was blown away by it. Um, he was blown away by the family atmosphere, the coaching staff, uh, the other recruits that talked to him. But one of the key recruits, and this is, this is the reason why this story became so popular at our website, one of the key recruits that talked to him <laughs> – was Jackson Arnold. Jackson Arnold was telling, here's this Juco cornerback from uh, a town he's probably never heard of, wants to go to Oklahoma, and he's looking around, and he's saying, here's why. Uh, he said he didn't have an offer when Lincoln Riley was there, but uh, he said, I fell in love with the program, fell in love with Brent Venables, fell in love with Jeff Lebby, uh, the offensive coordinator, obviously, talking two different sides of the ball. But, man, uh, when the quarterback, the five-star quarterback is the guy that's telling you you need to be here, 
I think Kendall Dolby realized this is a great opportunity for me. Yeah, and th- there will be – you look at it, C.J. Colden not going to be able to come back just because of eligibility, um, running out of that after redshirt, COVID, year, all that stuff. Justin Broyles, same boat. Uh, Trey Morrison, same same boat. So that's uh, a bunch of spots there that we know for sure, and that's before you talk about Jordan Mukes, who we just talked about transferring, or, or anyone else that if a Woody Washington makes a call that maybe he wants to just try the NFL route. So, you know what I mean? That. There could still be some more shakeup to come in the secondary. Um, so regardless of tape or anything like that, it's a, a spot where Oakland's going to need bodies. And then you get really excited by the potential of if Jay Valai, Brandon Hall, Brent Mendels, if those guys, wherever he lands, can kind of harness that. And, and you see he'll have the spring, unlike C.J. Colden, who that's why it took him so long to kind of get up to speed. If, if they can find a way yeah. to harness that, uh, that, that could be something that Oklahoma fans can be excited by because – Overall, outside of the, the coverage bust against TCU, it's not perfect by any means. It wasn't elite, great, anything. But I didn't think the secondary played better as the year went on, which you haven't seen that. I mean, how many years has it been since uh, when you first saw an Oklahoma corner the first time they played? That was the best corner play you were ever going to get out of them, and it slowly deteriorated the rest of their career. 100%. 100%. So we'll see um, how Dolby can work himself into the fold. And like Ryan said, the fact that he actually will be here in the spring, that killed Colin. Um, it's a shame because he came on late in the season. You feel like he could have been there from the start if he was there uh, in the spring. So he'll have that working for him and uh, in the state, obviously uh, Miami over there at the Juco level. So we'll, uh, we'll see what he looks like whenever we get to see him in the spring. So we'll see how that goes here coming up. All right, we'll take one more break here. We'll come back. Oh, what's up real quick. If, if you didn't see as well this morning, um, the senior bowl, announced that Eric Gray has accepted an invite, which we all figure that Eric Gray will be pursuing the NFL at the end of this season. But uh, that senior bowl is it's, it builds itself as the first step in the NFL draft process. It's it, everyone remembers last year, what Perron Winfrey did for his um, kind of draft stock early on in the process with the senior bowl. So nothing's been announced from Eric Gray about future plans or anything at one Oh nine PM here on Wednesday when, when this has been recorded, but, uh, accepting that invite to the Senior Bowl, an indication that uh, what we all figured is that Eric Gray will likely be headed to the NFL. It wouldn't make any sense for, for that to be announced if not. So we're waiting on an official announcement from Gray. And then um, as we kind of talked about, there was no indication either way when he was talking to us after the game, if he still wants to hang around for the bowl game, opt out, any of that stuff. What are the odds, guys, that Eric Gray comes out and says, boy, this is amazing to be coached by real football coaches in the NFL? <laughs> like Perry on did last year. Yeah, I would say low, <laughs> very low, very low. Yeah, Eric Gray is, uh, yeah, that was the most dirt I've ever seen thrown on one coach by a <laughs> former player in my life. The Grinch that stole our season. Is he the one who tweeted that, or was it Isaiah Coe? One of the two tweeted that. I, I think that was, I think that was a TikTok, not not even just a tweet. I think it was a TikTok that that uh, Winfrey put out there. One of the two definitely tweeted it, but they might be referencing a tick that TikTok. I don't know, but. Yeah, that was uh, while well, a fun time in all of our lives when the, when the vibes were still high in Northern Oklahoma, making fun of the previous regime. Um, <laughs> now the previous regime is dancing in, in SoCal, about to go to the playoffs. So they, I don't have to transcribe uh, Alex Grinch quotes anymore. That's one thing that <laughs> my life is really starting to look up since uh, since I don't have to do that. That was that dude talked so fast and said so many different things in in like two seconds. It was a nightmare to transcribe him. 
Yeah, Grinch one, and then uh, Skip Johnson is two on the OU Mount Rushmore of Skip. He just will go this way, that way, and he gives you good stuff. But I never know how to, like, I always want to, like, text him and be like, I need you to double check that I did okay shaping this up for what we need it to be as far as punctuating things correctly. Because Skip and yeah. Alex Grinch both like to start new sentences in the middle of a sentence. Yeah. We 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 kind of divvy up the, the folks on the OU beat, divvy up the, uh, the quote transcriptions to kind of speed it along for everybody. We all have the same thing. We're not really competing when it comes to transcribing quotes. Alex Grinch was always the booby prize. Every, Alex Grinch was always the, uh, who's got Grinch? Uh, <laughs> it was always Barry Trammell would either step up and say, I'll do it, or I did it last week. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I think yeah, he did it in October and said, I'm done with Grinch for the rest of the year. So it was tough. Yeah. That he's he's the USC guy's problem now over That's at, right. Uh, is it all Trojans? I'm not sure. Well That's right, all Trojans. He's he's there. He's their problem now. Um and that defense, which has been not good, but gets a lot of takeaways. It's weird. And they might make the playoff. We'll talk about that a little bit in the next segment. Playoff is uh, almost finalized. We haven't talked about it at all because we just haven't had a reason to. We'll, we'll look at it a little bit. Conference championship weekend coming up. And, of course, Sooners NFL and a little basketball talk on the way out uh, to wrap things up next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast. A few last things here we'll send you on your way. We don't have a weekend show. Obviously, that's essentially over now other than the postgame show after the bowl game. So we'll be back next Wednesday, um, wrapping up what we uh, where Oklahoma's headed for the bowl and all that good stuff. But we'll talk about that a little more later. We'll start with championship weekend and the playoffs. So we haven't talked about this at all this year. Uh, last year it was a, a fixture on the show was to react to the playoff rankings and all that good stuff. Not a thing this time around because Oklahoma was never in that picture, so it's just never really a reason to. But we'll do it a little bit right now. So this weekend, what's the drama, I guess, for you guys? So the, the rankings right now, I'll, I'll give them real quick in case you don't know them. Georgia's number one, Michigan two, TCU three, USC four, Bam, Ohio State five, Alabama six. Those are really your six teams. There's really no other way for anybody else to get in. Those are the six teams that have a shot. What's the drama this weekend? Because there there's an argument to be made, and I've seen it be made, that even if TCU loses, they should still make it. That even if USC loses, potentially, that they should still make it. Because they're actually playing on championship weekend, where these other teams are not. You know, you do, do you want to penalize teams for playing on championship weekend, basically, is the, the question. So, is there any drama for you guys uh, this weekend? Are you good with the way the rankings are? I mean, is, yeah. what are you looking for? So, the data point is the data point, as uh, Mike Tomlin might say when he's talking about uh, the <laughs> talking about conversions um, you get 12 data points right as a, in the regular season and then you get a 13th what you do with that 13th is just as important as what you do with any of those other 12 
if you win, great, you move on. You get the advantage of playing an extra game and winning it. If you lose, sorry. Um, 12 and one, is it better than 11 and one? Well, did you win your conference? Aha. That's one of those things that if you go 12 and one and don't win your conference, they don't count you as a conference champion. All these things matter. It all adds up. What really matters the most, who the playoff committee wants in the playoff. Simple as that. Do they get good brand recognition with USC? Number four, hell yes. You know, Ohio State, oh, just outside. Maybe we can try to get them in somewhere. Uh, you can't really screw over TCU that bad. Oh, we got Michigan. We got, uh, you know, Georgia. So they got their brand recognition. They're not worried about that. They, It's, you know, the, the one versus four, no matter who four is going to be, is probably going to be not very competitive. And then two versus three, you really don't have any idea. It could be, could go either way. So they, they're going to get what they want, which is big secret here. This is how it works. They're going to get what they want, which is what they want. They want what they want, and they're going to get it because they are the playoff committee and they don't have to reveal crap to us. Yeah, I I think it was college football Reddit who put this out on Twitter that was like, Georgia, congrats, you're in the playoff. Michigan, congrats, you're in the playoff. TCU, don't get blown out. And USC, you just got to win. And I completely agreed with that. Like, if TCU loses a close game, I think that the committee showed a ton of respect for Kansas state. And so I think that because of that respect for Kansas state, unless TCU just absolutely gets mauled, which I don't see happening, I think that they're in. And so then it's, Hey, USC, you've lost to Utah. Can you beat Utah? Right. And that was a really close game. That was a game that USC had a chance to come back late. Couldn't get it done. And that was the hyper emotional program game there as far as, um, Utah honoring a couple of fallen teammates and and having that paint on the helmets, things like that. Uh, the fact of the matter is, in one season, Lincoln Riley is really good at not losing to the same team twice. And so um, with everything to play for, I, I'm really excited. I think the Big 12 Championship game is going to be a really good game. I, I don't know if the stakes are massive other than, like we said, don't get blown out. But I'm excited to watch that thing. I think USC-Utah will be a fun game. Excited to watch it. But as far as this weekend goes, I think everyone who needs to win a win, it'll be chalk unless Purdue can do Purdue things. Spoiler makers, uh, watch out for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think we have a chance for probably the most straightforward playoff reveal since it's come out if all these teams just win because I think you'll just leave them as it is and you'll get Georgia, USC, Michigan, TCU, which will be a couple of interesting games just to see if can, can Lincoln and USC and Caleb just keep that close or will be more like the playoff games that we've seen. Uh, in the past with Oklahoma, and then how real is TCU um, when they play a Michigan team that's clearly very good, uh, just housed Ohio State. But if any, if, if, if TCU or USC lose, there's going to be drama, especially also USC with the two losses is a tough sell. But TCU loses, and they're 12-1 and versus Ohio State, who is 11-1. That is going to be an argument, and it's going to be contentious, and it's going to be interesting. So we'll see. All those teams, if they just win, they're fine, obviously. But uh, – there's some drama to be had there. And if TCU and USC both lose, if they find a way to shoehorn Alabama in, I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't put it past them. So we'll, we'll see uh, how much drama we get. What if TCU and, and uh, USC both win and then both win again? You've got the Riley Bowl for the national championship. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sure that everyone uh, who listens to this podcast uh, for Oklahoma is stoked about that. Uh. <laughs> Here's the nightmare scenario for Oklahoma, and it's that if Georgia finds a way to get upset 
or Michigan for that matter. Any, any way that you end up with USC and TCU playing, TCU's the two and USC's the three because USC probably wins that game and USC's playing in the national championship game because just that matchup is not great for TCU. And now you're watching Lincoln and Caleb play in the natty. And that's not what OU fans certainly want at all. So that's that's the nightmare scenario for Oklahoma. We'll find out what happens this weekend. Should be fun. Um, two two years in a row that we're kicking it on the couch uh, for championship weekend. Not the worst thing. If there's going to be an upset, guys, this week, I really think K State has an opportunity to be that team that upsets TCU. K State plays a certain brand of football. They can ugly it up. They've got a hell of a football coach. Really knows his X's and O's, you know, really knows game management, timeouts, all that stuff. Um, I'm not calling it because I think TCU's having a special season, but it would not surprise me in any way, shape, or form if K-State wins that game. Well, it'll just be fun to see four quarters of the same quarterback, hopefully, for Kansas State in that matchup. Because the first yeah. time, um, Martinez played, what, like a drive, then Howard looked good, then he got knocked out, the third string comes in, turns the ball over, put Howard back in. Like, it was just who can finish this game trying to help Kansas State. And it was a really fun game, so... Um, that's why I'm so optimistic that this will be a really, really fun watch this weekend is because hopefully you can just get Will Howard from the jump and you can just get four quarters of that from Kansas State, which will be a really tough test for TCU. But yeah, uh, with a much bigger game that's not college football happening at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, I'm very happy that say, we're all going to be on the couch. I was going to say, you got USC-Utah Friday night, and then USA-Netherlands Saturday morning, and then just full championship Saturday. So it's, it's a big sports weekend um, to be kicking it. Oklahoma's not playing. I'd love to cover the Big 12 championship game, but they're not. It's out of my hands. So I, I'll watch the games instead, I guess, uh, all day long. It's going to be great. So we'll look ahead to that, and we'll react to that next week, however that shakes out. Looking at the NFL real quick, week 12 in the books. Shout out Tress Way. He was my Sooners in the NFL uh, spotlight for the week because just he, he one of those guys you want to you look for an opportunity to get in there because he's been the best punter in the NFL for a while now. And he pinned the Falcons at the five in the game I was watching. My Falcons take a horrendous L as they usually do. Pin him at the five. Washington gets a three and out. They then convert that into the game winning touchdown. That all the catalyst of that was Tressway's great punt to pin the Falcons way deep in their own end. And then he drew the game winning roughing the punter call, uh, which he really embellished. He really sold it well. So shout out Tressway, Sooners the NFL for week 12 as a Washington, which is a, a, just a playoff team out of nowhere, um, is uh, led by their punter there, uh, Mr. Tressway. So, who, who, what else with you guys, though, that stuck out for uh, Sooners the NFL week 12? Kind of a light week, a little bit, even though everybody played. Nobody really stuck yeah. out too much. Well, first of all, on Tressway, anybody uh, being a union parent, all, you know, for most of the last 25 right. years, right? Um, we've lived in this district for going on 27 years now, I think. Um, to be anybody who, any of you fans out there who have met Tressway, interacted with Tressway, know exactly what I'm talking about. He is the coolest, classiest, kindest, nicest guy that you'd ever want to meet. And the fact that he has made this into an NFL career where he is one of the highest paid punters in NFL history just does, your, seriously, does your heart good because he is a good dude. It's good to see good people have good success like that and sustain it. He's just been, he's got a great wife, great family, you know, the softball player. Uh, I think her name was Bree Tarang. Everybody remembers her. She was fantastic. Well, they super couple, right? The original 
punter marries the softball girl, right? We've seen this before. Copycats. So. Or yeah, I know, right? What are you doing, Turk? This has been done before. It comes from, from another angle. Man. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, I don't know. Sooners in the NFL. Good to see Marquise Brown back on the floor on the field. He had eight targets last last week, six catches. So good to see him competing again. Not the best day for Kyler Murray. Uh, he did have what three touchdowns total. So um, Cardinals stink. Cardinals are struggling, man. Yeah, they're really bad. And uh, it'll be interesting to do this offseason because they just handed Kine the GM extension. Cliff an extension, Kingsbury the head coach, and Kyler an extension. Usually when you uh, follow up a disappointing playoff showing with a year like this, one of those three is on the move, and all those guys just got extended. So that'll be really interesting to see what happens there. But uh, I'm kind of looking at Joe Mixon, Samaj Piran, and that Bengals offense. They're they're slated to get Jamar Chase back this week. That's kind of the expectation. So uh, can those guys kind of make some noise and, and make another run here in the AFC? That'll be something to look at. But uh, for the record, Grace Lyons does smash homers a lot more than the slapper Brianna Terang. <laughs> so it, it's a little, it's yeah. it's similar but different. The, they they get it done in different ways. That's right. Uh, Samaje, though, real quick, uh, three touchdowns last week, three touchdown catches last week, which is mind blowing. He catches a pass this week. I was watching the clip, and the, the NFL, the uh, uh, I think it was Fox announcer goes, Samaje Pirine, who caught three touchdown passes last week, and here he is with another reception. He turns around, and there's a, a Titans linebacker right on top of him, 6'3", 250 linebacker coming right at him. Samaje hits him in the face and throws him to the ground. Just a big, bulky Titans Monster linebacker. Yeah. Ends up looking like a, a, a you know computer nerd at, at the AV class after in, in, after seventh period. It was, it was shocking how strong Samaje is. And he's the longer he's played in the NFL, the more opportunity he's gotten, the better he's become. That's really cool to see because when he first got to the NFL, he wasn't necessarily you know explosive, experienced, um, as powerful as he is now. You look at him now, he's a different player. Definitely. Shout out Samaje, uh, filling in for Mixon, who's been out for a couple of weeks. Uh, really, really well. They haven't missed a beat, that Bengals offense. And Jalen Hurts, uh, of course. I mean, it's just... NFL MVP, arguably, right now. Um, we could bring him up every week, but uh, another big win for him, another big game. They beat Aaron Rodgers on Sunday Night Football. It just every week is amazing what he's doing. It's just, it's nuts. He's MVP candidate. So it's between him and Mahomes right now, and that that's that's insane. That that's the world that we live in right now. Speaking um, of, of yeah. uh, speaking of running backs that catch passes, how about Ramondre Stevenson for the Patriots last week? Nine catches for seventy six yards for. Ramondre. I did not see that in his game. He, he caught some passes, but I didn't see him as a volume receiver. Well, especially going to New England where they've just been like, screw it. We haven't been a one-back team for 15 years, right? Uh, we'll, we'll just run it back with Ramondre. Don't worry about it. CD went over 100 yards again. So that was a good good day by him for the Cowboys. On Thanksgiving, yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah. 100%. You know, Ramondre, uh, Bill Belichick loves Ramondre. I think on the broadcast on NBC on that night, they compared him. Uh, Bill Belichick compared his preparation and his approach to the game to Tom Brady and Lawrence Taylor. That was what <laughs> Bill Belichick does. So Couple Bill Belichick loves Ramondre Stevenson. Loves him. So pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, wrapping up with some basketball here on the way out. Big week for the men's hoops team. And shout out to them for – you know, they had that that season opening, just horrible loss uh, to Sam Houston. And look, I tweeted about the the you know the six game win streak since the opening debacle is what I called it. And I had some fans pushing back. 
on it being a debacle. The same Houston State's been pretty good. Folks, they had a 98% win probability. They were up double digits for like five minutes left. No matter who you're playing, that's a debacle to blow it, especially at home to a G5. That was a disastrous way to start the season, but they have bounced back. They've won six in a row. They won the ESPN Event Invitational, which wasn't, it's not like Maui or one of these other ones that's got all these ranked teams, all these blue bloods, but they beat three quality P5 teams that are all hoping to make the tournament themselves, especially obviously Seton Hall and Ole Miss. They went through three wins in four days. There's a lot to like about what they're doing right now. Baby steps, baby steps. Yeah, and the best thing is, uh, and I heard Porter Moser say this again today, Maybe it was yesterday, actually. Uh, heard him on with Toby. He was talking about going stretches of the game, the final three minutes, five minutes, four minutes, whatever it was in, in any given game, without allowing a field goal, without allowing a point. And that's how you win games is by shutting guys down, shutting the other team down. You might miss uh, a three-pointer. You might miss the front end of a one and one Doesn't matter if the other team can't score, and that's what Oklahoma's defense is doing right now. Yeah, he talked about with that with us after i was trying to remember what game it was um some of the post games have run together when with the football and basketball all at one time but he talked about the thing that he watched over and over and over again all off season was the last four minutes of a ton of those games that they dropped and how he centered in on i know everyone talks about the offense but for him it was the defense that failed him and that was the difference in the last four minutes so you're seeing that as well but i think the other really encouraging thing is that last year Five, six games into the year, like we would have been like, oh, that's just the offense. There's no new wrinkle in, things like that. You saw Porter continue to trust a lot more of Milo Zuzan and Bijan Cortez, those guys getting back in there. Bijan's really fun to watch as far as what he does, swiping balls in the passing lanes. Like he just has that knack defensively to to rip steals and things like that. And then seeing more ball handlers on the floor, that's what Porter told us in the preseason. That's what he told us after game one. He's kind of maintained that that's going to happen. They just need more time to mix and match the lineups. And I think that that's been a big boost. And what Porter will love is that last three minutes against Ole Miss, OU finally built a score last yeah. year. And, and it was the Utah State game where we saw the first little bit of time and score, time and score, where they were just launching threes left, right, and center. You finish that game with the, the three-guard lineup with um, uh, Sherfield, C.J. Nolan, Milo Suzon. So Nolan, Uzon, young guys. Mm-hmm. They saw that game out perfectly. No quick shots, bleeding the clock down, making Ole Miss foul them. I think that's all stuff that Porter Moser was going to love to see out of his team early on this year. Villanova on Saturday in Philly for Oklahoma. Villanova's off to a rough start. First year of the post-Jay Wright era, they're 2-5. and five. Chance for Oklahoma to go in there and kind of make a little bit of a statement. If you go in and can whip up on Villanova, you know, double-digit win on the road, even, even though this Villanova team's not that good, they're still Villanova. So a chance for some confidence there. First true road game uh, for, for Oklahoma on Saturday. So we'll see how they shake out. We'll talk to Porter Moser tomorrow uh, about that and looking ahead. So look out for that allcenters.com tomorrow afternoon. As far as women, weird scheduling quirk. They haven't actually played since our last show. They played last Tuesday, and they played tonight, Wednesday night, against Northwestern State. Anything you guys want to add? With I mean, they haven't played since our last show, but acknowledging that you know they're, they're back at home tonight against Northwestern State some time to kind of try to get their footing for some big games here uh, coming up before big 12 play starts. Have to recoup from that, um, that trip to Utah, right? That back to back at Utah. Um, so the, you know, the, she, she gave them time. Jenny gave them time to be able to do that. So um, they played yeah, two games since then. Oh, they have they've had, they've had a weird, yeah, they played UT Arlington and beat them. And they played I, Arkansas yeah, I totally State forgot and that. I totally forgot that. I thought their most recent game was the Utah trip. 
Yeah, they that's put like good. four games in like seven or eight days. Now they haven't wow. played in over a week. It's kind of a funky, funky schedule. Yeah, that's the uh, the Thanksgiving schedule. What's it going to be at Christmas? I wonder. Yeah, no kidding, <laughs> no kidding. And uh, look, that, that's something too that you look at. Um, last year, winning a Big Twelve tournament game for the first time in a hot minute meant that oh, you had to play it back to back. It's not something they're used to. So I'm sure that. Uh, Jenny Bronchek's happy that early on in the season, they kind of got that experience, got all that fatigue into their legs and said, okay, now you have to go out there and perform, but also were able to build in a nice little break. So they can, it's not costing them a ton of non-conference games just to, just to get that experience. At home for a while, um, after they, uh, you know, they played Northwestern state tonight at home, like we said, and they play Ole Miss at home on Sunday, Robert Morris at home the following Sunday, and then Southern at home the following Sunday after that. So three straight Sundays at home. So they don't go back on the, uh, on the road again until almost near Christmas. So they have a lot of time to be at home and uh, stockpile some wins here coming up over the next several weeks. All right, that's it for us. We'll uh, head on out of here. Keep up with for all the latest portal news and uh, everything else, opt outs on the bowl game and all that kind of stuff in the next week ahead. Like we said, we'll be back next Wednesday recapping the weekend that was in college football and of course basketball action all that good stuff and uh reacting to whatever oklahoma has in their bowl we'll know by next wednesday finally oklahoma is going to be playing their bowl game so we'll react to all that we'll break it all down for you next wednesday you can catch that show on itunes spotify google iheart wherever you get your podcast if you have an amazon able to buy it just say alexa play the all Sooners podcast it's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, you can watch the shows as well on Who's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it. We'll be back next Wednesday for Ryan Chapman and John Hoover. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.